morning. morning. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel, Wednesday evening. I'm my gear, my heads in gear. Welcome to the monthly uh, NBC Family Chapel. We have a special chapel this week, or this month. Uh, Reverend Charles Tillman is the T.W. Willingham uh, Preacher of the Year for this year. Uh, I need to see the hands. I asked this last night. Um, I just need to see the hands of anybody who knows who T.W. Wellingham is. Okay, a little more. Some of us are a little older than who were here last night. T.W. Willingham was a motivator. He was an um, inspirer. He was an evangelist who would not let you go uh, once he got a hold of you. Uh, he... Um, and so it was a formative force in the Church of the Nazarene. He, uh, his preaching and his passion shaped uh, who we were, who we are. So his family uh, instituted this preaching series as a way to honor his ministry and also to honor the ministry of preaching. From Charles Tillman is a 1982 graduate of Nazarene Bible College. Uh, on, in the inside of the bulletin, you can see the ministry uh, that he's been involved in since his time here. He's currently serving as pastor of one of the Nazarene churches in Richmond, Virginia. He is uh, the director, let me get this title correct, director of black ministries for the USA Canada, Church of the Nazarene. For Virginia District. For the Virginia District. Well, he, he's moving on up. I mean, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll happen. He is, he is a brother in Christ. And that's his uh, primary motive for being here and his ministry. The word will challenge us today. So you don't have to listen to this anymore. I've asked Laurel to help um, lead the singing. So would you stand? We're going to sing. Our Heavenly Father, great Jehovah, we thank you today for your rich, abundant, marvelous, glorious blessings to us. You are the Almighty, and we praise you. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our thanks. You are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of everything. And we cry out to you as Abba, Father. And I praise you today, God, for your rich, abundant blessings to us. We thank you for this opportunity of being together in this NBC family chapel. We thank you for the messenger of the week. We thank you for, Dr. for Reverend Charles Tillman. We thank you, God, for his ministry. We thank you for the blessing that he has been to my own heart in other times, and we just pray that you would give him freedom and clarity. May the words that you would have us in this chapel and our students tonight and tomorrow night be given through him to us that we might more clearly hear and that we might fully respond and that we would give everything that we have in our service to you. Bless the furtherance of this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, I praise the Lord, everyone. It is so good to be here. I'm going to treat you as if I was at my home church speaking to you. And if I would say to them, good morning, Woodville, praise the Lord, they would say back to me, Pastor, praise the Lord. So let's try it again. Praise the Lord, everyone. All right, now that sounds a lot better. I feel much better this morning after my day of travel on yesterday. I was really fatigued, my wife and I, um, coming from Eastern time to, to Mountain time. Well, it's a little different, I tell you, a couple of hours. And it was like preaching at 9.30 last night when I came. So amen, I'm much more alive and awoke today. Our scripture reading for this morning is Judges, the 13th chapter. You have that and... Uh, beginning from verse 2 to verse 24. I will read some of that for you. Maybe some of you have already read that, but um, we'll look here at this uh, account of the life of the judge, Samson. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me this. He didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like for you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, why do you ask me my name? It is beyond 
understanding. I'll stop right there, and I would just challenge you to continue to read and read the remainder of this chapter. My title for my message this morning is Living Too Close to the World. Living Too Close to the World. Those who were with us on yesterday evening know that I issued a mandate for integrity, and I talked about the need to have more men and women of integrity, especially in the ministry that we live in a time of a lot of skepticism in terms of people who are in public uh, positions of public servant and, and uh, clergy alike. Uh, there just seems to be a, 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 a lacking in the area of integrity. And I believe it stems to the, uh, it goes to the fact that we have too many people who are living too close to the world. In thinking about uh, this time that we would share this week, I, I was just pondering, you know, some words that I could say that might would, 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 would convey how I feel and, and what I think is important for people who are training for the ministry. And you know, what I have found over my 25, 26 years in the ministry is that most of the time when, when I see leaders fail, when I see pastors fail, it's not because they can't preach. It's not because they don't have good theology. It's not because they are not good people. Most of the time, I would characterize it as a failure of leadership. Failure of leadership. Amen. Living too close to the world. You know, a leader, um, I'm teaching a class. Uh, I just finished one, and I'm starting another one in, uh, in my church on individuals who are interested in being leaders in the church, board positions, Sunday school teachers, whatever kind of leadership position that they're interested in, I encourage everyone to take this class on leadership. I meet with them approximately 20 times, and I sit down, and we have a text we go through. I have a syllabus I prepared for them, and, and just like the classes that you have here at Nazarene Bible College, I take them through a course of study that will help prepare them for leadership. Because I think that it's so important that if you're going to be a leader, whether it be a pastor, whether it be a teacher, whether it be a board member, or whatever it is, a deacon or steward, that it is important that you know what is expected of you as a leader. And I have, I've looked to that classic book by uh, Oswald Sanders on, on spiritual leadership, and I use that as a textbook along with some other material that I have gathered. But in terms of leadership, I think... Uh, that if a person is going to be a good leader, uh, Sanders says uh, there are uh, certain qualities or attributes that a leader needs to have. Uh, he needs to be or she needs to be a very disciplined person. You know, before you can conquer the world, you've got to first conquer yourself. Uh, you must be a person who is a visionary. A leader is someone that can see farther and can see more than other folks see. Not only that, but they need to have wisdom. Last night, I called it mother's wit. That's what my grandmother had. But it's just pure and simple wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to take the knowledge that you have and to apply it to real-life situations. I have uh, attended, over the course of my life, four, five different colleges, and I've worked in five other colleges. So I've been in many educational institutions. And I've been around a lot of people that I characterize as being very smart, very smart people. But, you know, all the smarts in the world does not help you if you don't know how to apply it. If you don't know how to take it and apply it to real-life situations. I've sat next to people that were very highly intellectual, but when it came to everyday life 
decisions. They had a very difficult time. Okay, so uh, you, you must be a person that has wisdom. A leader has to be a, a good decision maker. Uh, someone who is able to look at the situation and determine what is the best way to handle this situation. Not only that, but they need to be a person of courage. Uh, they can encounter difficult situations calmly and without fear. But also they need to be humble. They need to be humble. We need to realize, I, I, I told my class, I said, listen here, you need to realize that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And everything that we do, all that we represent, it needs to be about uplifting the name of Jesus Christ. And we want to point people to Jesus. That's my life goal, that I want to point people to Jesus. I want to help them know God. I want them to know the God that I know that has changed my life and has, has taken a life that was on his way nowhere and has made me uh, be able to do things and, and go places that I never would have went and, and touch people's lives in ways that I could not have done on my own, but only the grace of God, only as a heart is yielded to God can you do these things. So I called it a failure of leadership when we see so many pastors that, that, that fall. And, and you've heard, I don't, I don't want to mention names because you know, I, I, I know that you know, so many have fallen. It's been well documented in the news. But yet we serve a God that, that, that I tell you, you've got to leave space for grace. Amen. That, that God looks at even those who have fallen and he extends mercy to them. But I want to tell you here and now, before you get to that situation, how important it is. And we need to be careful. Samson was a person that, uh, you know, he, his life was sort of enigmatic when you look at it. You look at his great strength. You look at this man who, who came from godly beginnings, his, his father Manoah. And we don't know the name of his mother. The scripture does not tell us. But it is obvious that, that, that his home was a godly home, that the angel of the Lord came and visited with his parents and, and gave specific uh, directors on how he was to be raised and, and how he was to uh, uh, be nurtured and that he was to undertake the Nazarite vow. So his birth is, is very unusual, just like that of, of Isaac in, in Genesis uh, 17 and, and John the Baptist in Luke 1. They were announced by angels. So also was Samson. Uh, his birth was announced by an angel of the Lord. And, uh, but this, this vow that he was to take was a, was a peculiar vow. Uh, the mother was not to drink any wine or any type of fermented drink or any, any grapes or, 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 or raisins. Or, and uh, he was not to come in contact with anything that was unclean. He was not to come in contact with a dead body. Uh, no razor was to be placed upon his head. And he was to be set aside. You see, this Nazarite vow, I see this clearly as a type of, of sanctification. Someone that is set apart to God to be used by God. If you're going to be a leader, you need to be set apart. If you're going to be used, you need to have that experience of, uh, of being sanctified whole and have committed and yielded your whole heart and your life to the Lord. 
And he had a, defi a, a divine assignment that he had been given. That he was, the scripture says, to begin to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. And we know something about this time that there were no kings at this point and that uh, there, there were only judges that God raised up judges to lead them. There were many judges in the book of Judges. Um, we look at um, Elon and Abdon and now we get to Samson who is probably one of the most famous judges of all. And Samson was a man who, who he had incredible strength, incredible strength. In fact, with his own bare hands, he, 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 he killed a, a lion. And on another occasion, he killed 30 men and, and took their clothes. Uh, um, on another occasion, he killed 1,000 men with simply the, the jawbone of a donkey. This man was incredible. He had great strength. But listen, you can have all the muscles in the world. But if you don't have self-restraint, if you don't have discipline, you will be spiritually weak and inept. I have found out uh, as a pastor through the years, you know, we have a lot of time that, that no one is monitoring us. Uh, uh, a lot of our activities are self-directed. And as men and women of God, we need to know how to be disciplined. As I said last night, be people of integrity. We need to be about the business of doing God's business. My heart goes out when I hear of uh, 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 recently a, a, a certain minister I knew got caught up in, in, in pornography uh, there in his office when you should be watching, when you should be preparing his, his notes and reading and doing other things. Uh, he was engaged in, in watching uh, uh, pornographic material. And I tell you, it, it, the world now, we live in this age, this, this new information age, this technology age, where so much stuff is there at the press of a, of a, of a you know, when you, you hit one of the keys on the keyboard and, and up pops something. I, I know one day I was in my office, and I know that I've never been to any site that was in any way uh, anything that I, I couldn't share with you here today or I couldn't share with my wife. But up pops something on my screen, and I don't know how it came. I don't know where it came from, but I mean, I just sat there, and I was absolutely appalled, and I, I, I have a person who is in my congregation who is very uh, savvy when it comes to uh, PCs and programming and so forth, and what he told me is he said, you probably went to a site looking for information on something else, and what happened is it put a cookie into your computer. Now, the only cookie that I know is the kind that I eat when I go in to McDonald's, so I didn't understand when he says a cookie in your computer. He said, but then that cookie, what it does is it triggers pop-ups to come up on your screen and, you know, and all these other information. I know sites that I hadn't visited, things it was trying to advertise to sell all kinds of stuff, and one of them was sex. And I told him, I said, listen, I don't know where it came from, but can you help me? Can you clean my computer and get that stuff off of there? Because I don't want that popping up. I mean, it was, you know, I'm, I, I closed it down, and then maybe 10 minutes later, something popped back up again, worse than the first time. And I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want to see this. You've got to be disciplined. And so my, uh, my person came in, and they were able to, they did something. They went in and, and cleaned it all, cleaned off the cookies or whatever, but I didn't have that problem anymore. But I was just appalled at the idea that I can go and visit a site 
getting information, that I could go to Google or, or some other site just trying to uh, get information for a message that I was putting together, and I get some horrible pop-up of something that, that I definitely did not want and, and, and did not appreciate. So if you're going to be a, a leader, you, you've got to be able to, to, to be disciplined, to manage your, your time, to, to have some integrity. Uh, uh, you know, no one's watching. No one ever would have known. You never would have knew had I not told you. But I knew. And God knows. And so it was important to me. It's Samson. When I say his life was somewhat of an enigma, I believe that Samson's downfall was that he was a man who lived too close to the world. He went down to Timnah, we find out in the 14th chapter of Judges, and, and he uh, is taken aback by this uncircumcised woman, is how she is described, that he would later marry. At one point, he slept with a prostitute in Gaza in the 16th chapter, verse 1, apparently unconcerned about the dangerous situation of being surrounded by his enemies. He later would fall in love with the notorious Delilah, a woman from the valley of Sorek, which was wine country. Samson was somebody who had been given great responsibility. He was the leader of the children of the Israelites. He was to be their one, the one that led them, and he would lead them for some 20-odd years, but he did not take that role as serious as he needed to. And what I want to say to future leaders, to future pastors and leaders of churches, is take the role of leader serious when you step into your church, when you step into that congregation, know that people are looking at you, know that they are looking to you for inspiration, for guidance. People come to me and they talk to me about things that they wouldn't share with anyone else. They talk to me about their soul and eternity. And I feel like if I'm going to be dealing with people about something so sacred as where they will spend eternity, that I need to live in such a way and carry myself in such a way and be transparent and make sure that I am a person that, 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 that I can handle those kinds of situations, those kinds of delicate situations. I would hate to be someone in there talking... Uh, uh, counseling somebody who had just gone through a, a, a divorce or I, I, I had a couple recently come and there had been a, 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 a situation of unfaithfulness and things that had happened. I would hate to counsel them and yet in my own personal life, I have not been faithful. I have not been diligent. I've not been all that God would have me to be. Samson took his call to leadership haphazardly. And he played. He played. He, he maintained the vow in, in, in one sense. He, he didn't cut his hair and he didn't you know, allow a razor to come upon his head and he didn't drink wine and, and God gave him extraordinary strength. But I think he took that strength for granted. You see, if you play with fire, ultimately in time, you're going to get burnt. You're going to get burnt. You see, it's like folks that get involved with these soap operas so often. First, they're just entertained with watching the soap opera. Then after a while, 
they find themselves wanting to play the part themselves. And I had one person tell me, they said, well, you know, Pastor, those are just real-life situations. Those, that happens every day. And I said, you may, that may or may not be true. I said, I just don't, I think that you could find a better form of entertainment than that, than watching folk, you know, sleep with one another's wives and boyfriends and girlfriends and all this. Other. I said, I just think you could find a better way um, to, to entertain yourself. But uh, you need to be careful how you spend your leisure time and how you occupy your mind. That, that will say a lot about the kind of person that you are and the kind of character that you would display. Samson took his leadership uh, um, responsibility um, haphazardly and carelessly. And so here he has now fallen for Delilah, and Delilah wants to get the secret of his strength. She has sold out to the Philistines, and she wants to get the secret of his strength. And for three times, he, he, he sort of plays with her and toys with her. and says, oh, well, if you get some ropes, some fresh ropes that have never been used, and you tie me up, that'll do it. That didn't do it. And two more times, he gives her a scenario. Well, if you, if you braid my hair and, uh, and, you, and you put some kind of a pin through it, that, that, that I'll lose my strength there, that didn't do it. And finally, after playing with her and toying with her, she kept after him, and finally he gave his secret. Too close to the world. You know, it's, it's ironic that the name Delilah originates from a Hebrew verb meaning to be weak, to be longing. Apparently, that tells us something about her character and her nature. And when she continued at Samson, he found himself weak. He found himself yielding and giving in and telling something that he had told no one else. I imagine that only he and his parents knew the secret of his strength. But yet he told Delilah. He was intoxicated with her beauty, intoxicated with her, her looks, intoxicated with her, her smell. He found himself forsaking the agape love of God for that eros love, that sexual, sensual kind of love. And so he yielded to Delilah. And you know the story, I like, that's one of my favorite movies of all time, that old classic, uh, Samson and Delilah with Victor Mature. And they came and, and she had his hair cut off. She put him to sleep and then had him shaved. And then the Philistines came and took him away. And to make sure that he could not uh, come against them anymore, they gouged his eyes out and then put him to work and made a public spectacle out of him. And that's what happens when you live too close to the world. You'll find yourself, even though you have incredible strength, even though you have great potential, even though you can do, oh, many wonderful things, but all of that goes to, for naught if you give in to Delilah. Or what does Delilah represent? Delilah is the enemy. Delilah represents that which would sap away your strength. Delilah represents the person 
that would, that would come and say, hey, come on over here. It's not going to hurt. Let's do this together. Delilah is the one that represents, uh, uh, you know, the person that, that wants to distract you from your call, to distract you from your mission, to distract you from the vision that God has placed inside of you. I've seen it happen. I've seen friends, I've seen colleagues in the ministry that were wonderful men, wonderful preachers, and also godly leaders, but somehow found themselves distracted by Delilah or a spirit of Delilah. And now today, many of them are out of the ministry. I want to say to you, don't live so close to the world and play with the things of the world that after a while you'll find yourself being sucked in and drawn in. I see that's how the enemy gets you. I don't think he just outright just, you know, I don't think a person just outright leaves their commitment to God. I think it's a slow process where they are slowly enticed and little bit by little bit by little bit and then one day they wake up and they find that where they were walking with God like this, now it's like this. Delilah. Are you living too close to the world? It's important to surround yourself with winners. I find that, you know, I have a, a big family. I come from a family where my mother has seven children. My mother and father divorced when I was young, and I have a step-parent and uh, got a, 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 another brother, a stepbrother and a stepsister, so there's nine of us. There's a lot of us. I come from a real big family. And many of them do not know the Lord. And I know a lot of times we'll have family gatherings and they'll say, oh, well, you can do this. Why don't you come and drink? It won't hurt. Nobody will never know, Reverend, that you did this. Nobody will ever know. And I says, no. I says, no. Oh, come on. Go here with us. We're going to the striptease. Or, or we're going to, and I say, no. I say, no. You want to know why? Because I know and God knows. And my commitment that I've made to the Lord is more important then 20 minutes or 30 minutes of, of, of pleasure in some sleazy club or, or with some sleazy person or in some atmosphere. And also, I want to let my family know that my commitment that I've made to God is the most serious thing in my life. It's important to me. It's dangerous living too close. And I let them know, I love you. You're my family. I will always love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. But listen there, there's certain things that I cannot do even for you. And when you take that kind of a stand, it may be difficult at first. When I got saved, I was a teenager. And all my older brother says, oh, he's going through a phase, this Jesus phase. He'll grow out of it. I didn't. I grew into it. I didn't grow out of it. I grew into it. I got more and more involved, and I remember him asking me, what's wrong with you? Why would you want to mess up your life? Why do you want to go to church? Why do you want to do this? I said, something happened to me I can't explain. Something on the inside has turned me upside down. Something has caused me to not want to live the way I used to live, and I tell you, I am happier now than I've ever been in my whole life, and I want to keep this feeling the rest of my life. Keeping those commitments that you make. Samson, he played with, he toyed with that calling, and he gave Delilah 
the secret of his strength. Boy, I want to tell you that we serve a God who is compassionate and loving. A God of mercy. And even though Samson had gave away his secret and had his head shaven and then was used as a spectacle by the Philistines, God in his infinite love looked down and I imagine looked down on Samson and he allowed Samson's hair to begin to grow back and his strength began to return. Amen. Yeah, I tell you what, you, there are folks that have fallen and you might have fallen and here in the college setting, sometimes you know while you are preparing for the ministry, you go through, I tell you, you, you deal with all kinds of situations right here at the Bible college. I learned that when I was here as a student. I thought, man, I'm going to go to the Bible college, and boy, that's like three years in heaven, and it's going to be this and that. I want to tell you, no, it wasn't three years in heaven. It was three tough years. And every temptation that is out there is right here. But I thank God he, he brought me through. Amen. You see, this is just your rehearsal. You're getting ready to go out for a live performance. This is just your practice, but practice is what makes perfect. Practice is what enabled Michael Jordan to, to develop his, his jump shot and develop his game so that even after he was kicked off his high school basketball team, that he did not allow that to, to, to deter him because he knew that he had ability inside of him. And so he began to develop those skills. And, 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 and now the legend continues. We know what he went on to become. Even though he stumbled and he didn't make it in high school, but yet he continued on. And, and lo and behold, he was able to pursue his dream. I don't know who you are. You may have fallen. I don't know what it is that you've gone through, but I want you to know this. You can get up. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to lay there. It's one thing to fall down, but it's another thing to wallow in the dirt. You might fall, but don't wallow. Do you hear me? You might have disappointed yourself. You might have disappointed some people around you. But listen here, it's still not too late. While the blood is running warm in your veins, you can still get it together. Now is the time. And oh, I could see Samson down there. And they brought him out. He was down pressing the grinder. He was down there pressing the grain, I believe. And they brought him out. Wanted to make a spectacle of him. And they were all gathered there at the Colosseum. And oh, they didn't realize that God had heard Samson's cry. And Samson asked them to take him to the two pillars that supported the Colosseum. And there he asked God, Lord, one more time. And I imagine Samson could look back over his life and say, Lord, I, I wasn't all that I should have been. You blessed me and you gifted me in a way that you have gifted no other person before. And I, I trifled with your gift. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for falling short of your expectation for me. I'm sorry that I did not do the things that you wanted me to do. But Lord, if you would allow me just one last time to get redemption, to get revenge for my eyes but also for your name's sake, because I'm yours. Give me strength that I can destroy my enemies and take me home in the process. And God heard and honored Samson's request. And oh, does the story end there? No, we look over in what we call the Hall of Faith. And there we find in the Hebrews 11.32, we see the name 
Samson who found redemption. I tell you, it's dangerous living too close to the world. Be careful who you surround yourself with. Be careful the company you keep. Be careful the places you go. Carry yourself in such a way that you can command the respect of believers and unbelievers alike. Amen? I would challenge you today. If you would be one that says, Reverend Tillman, I have lived dangerously close to the world. But I want to make a firm commitment today that I'm walking with Jesus. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to have more control. I'm going to be a man or a woman of integrity. You've got to say that. You've got to make, make, that, make up your mind that you're going to do that. I'm not asking anybody to come. I'm not asking anybody to walk down the front. But you know in your heart and you know who you are. So many times I look at some of the ministerial friends that I had. They came to the assemblies. They came to the retreats. They came to the services. They looked fine on the outside. But something was happening behind the scenes that I didn't know about, but they knew. Nobody else may know that you're failing, but you know. You know, and God knows. Stand with me. <clears throat> Amen. As our dear sister comes and plays something appropriate, I want you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. Omnipotent God, our Father, I thank you today that you are a good God. Lord, you've blessed me down through the years, and I've seen your hand, and I've seen your faithfulness. And I'm thankful. I don't deserve your mercy and your love and your kindness. But oh, God, today I stand here in need of your touch. And we come, oh God, corporately, we ask God that you would bless us. If there are some under the sound of my voice that would say that I have lived too close to the world, that I've compromised in some area of my life, it may not be major, it may be minor at this point, but it can lead to a major disaster. Help me, God. I repent even now. With my head bowed, I repent. I repent when I've not been faithful. I repent when I've not done the things that you've laid on my heart to do. I repent when I have taken lightly the call of God on my life, the call to be a change agent. I repent and I ask so, God, that you would extend your hand of mercy, grace, wash me, clean me up, Lord, enable me to be the woman or man that you called me to be. I realize I'm not my own, that I've been brought with a price. So Paul said, I've got to glorify you with my body. I thank you today. I thank you, God, for all that you've done and all that you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.